Okay, well, we are in our week three of this series called 40 Days with Jesus. And this 40 Days with Jesus series is all about the 40 days that he spent on this earth after the resurrection. You think a big uh, thing like resurrection and, and Jesus Christ being away from home for about 33 years, you would think he'd want to go home. Like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And I remember uh, when we adopted... Um, three of our kids from Ukraine uh, about 10 years ago, uh, we were away for six weeks. And I was really, really homesick. And so we just, I couldn't wait to get home. And I could just imagine 33 years of not being at home. And uh, I'm sure Jesus is a little homesick. But instead, what did he do? He stayed longer. He lingered for 40 more days. And I find that very interesting why he would do that. And we're understanding a little bit more and more through this series why he did that. And so um, in this series, um, not only are we looking at it here on Sunday mornings, but we're also looking at it through small groups and then a personal devotional. And so you can access that personal devotional by simply going to lakepointonline.com. I know I say that a lot. Y'all know our website? I say it like multiple times a day. But that's really where we point people and where you can connect. But lakepointonline.com forward slash 40 days, the number four zero days. And uh, if you go to that, you can choose week one, week two, and tomorrow morning, uh, week three will be ready to go. So what those are, those are really simple, short devotionals that you can pull up on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer, and you can walk through that. And it's the same thing that we're walking through uh, as we walk through in our, in our sermons. So week one, uh, we, we talked about uh, the life transformation encounter that Jesus had with Mary Magdalene. And so guess what? Week one and the personal devotional devotional, it's all about that. But it goes into more depth and it asks you to ask yourself some questions about that and then apply it to your life. And week one, we talked about that encounter with Mary Magdalene and how she was in darkness and despair and even death, facing death all the time because she was actually demon possessed. And Jesus released her from that early on in his ministry. And, uh, and I could just imagine on that Sunday morning, that first Easter resurrection with Mary Mary Magdalene was there, and then, um, and then uh, John and Peter went in there as well, and um, they went back to the other disciples. Mary lingered at the garden there, and I can just imagine, the Bible says she cried, and she, it says four times in that one passage. So we know she was distraught, and I can just imagine her, the fears of darkness and despair and, and even death coming back on her, but Jesus settled that, and he approached her, and he said, Mary called her by name, and he recognized, she recognized him, finally, because he said her name. When, when God comes to the point where he's saying our name, if you get to the point where, where you're driving somewhere, or you're walking somewhere, or you're just in a time of, of just prayer and read, reading God's word, it just seems like God calls your name, gets your attention. And it's those times that God is just moving in closer. We talked about last week, in week two of this 40 Days with Jesus, about an eye-opening journey. And it was a journey that Jesus took with uh, two disciples, wasn't one of the main 11 apostles, but two of the disciples as they were going from Jerusalem, same day, Easter, Easter afternoon, they were going from um, 
Jerusalem to a village called Emmaus. And Jesus kind of just showed up and started walking along with them. And they didn't really recognize him. And they were just sharing with Jesus. And their eyes, uh, their eyes were just basically blurred, blurred vision, because they didn't recognize him. And they were blurred by the fact that they had some disappointment and doubt because they thought that Jesus was going to be the one who's going to liberate them from Roman tyranny. What they didn't realize is Jesus came to liberate them from sin and shame, the tyranny of sin and shame in our lives. And not just from, for Jews, but for all mankind. And so when, when Jesus opened up the scriptures and uh, when he was able to um, show uh, his, his nail-scarred hands, they believed, their eyes are opened. And sometimes, a lot of times, we can walk in this life and our vision of who God is, what God wants to do in our life can be blurred many days. And so what we learned is to do what those, those um, disciples did. What they did is they opened up scripture. Jesus opened up scripture. So we want to open up scripture. When you are living in the moment where you feel like your eyes are blurred, your spiritual eyes are blurred, open up God's word and let him reveal that to you. Also, welcome his presence. Those disciples welcomed him into their home. And then they also fellowship with him. They broke bread with him. Uh, and, and, uh, and there were other, other people there in the home as well. And, and Jesus revealed himself to, to them and to others. And so what that shows us is this, is that when we invite him into our day, he can unblur our vision. He can correct our vision uh, when it gets blurred, our spiritual vision, okay? And then when we also come together as other believers and fellowship, and uh, we, can, we can see how God is moving in other people's lives as well. So we had um, first two weeks. This week, we are talking about um, how Jesus changes our lives when he enters the room. And my simple, my simple title for today's message is, when Jesus enters the room. When Jesus enters the room. And it's all talking about this life-changing encounter that happens on the same day. We're still talking Easter. We're still on Easter. We had Easter Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene. Easter afternoon, same day, with two disciples walking to Emmaus. And then Easter that evening is when this happens. And we see this in John chapter 20, verse 19. So I'm going to be in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, verses 19 through 23. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be there. If your digital copy, John chapter 20, we also have this, uh, the sermons, uh, uh, the scripture on the screen. And so let's all go ahead and read John chapter 20, verse 19 through 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were, were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you, exclamation, uh, exclamation point. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, their sins are not forgiven. So Jesus appears to the 11, okay? We don't have 12 anymore. Judas is, Judas is gone, okay? We have 11. So Jesus actually appears to those 11 
original disciples, also called apostles. And so if you look at verse 19, we, we see a, um, what's striking is that despite the evidence of the empty tomb and despite the news of at least four people seeing him on that same day, the disciples as a group are living in a place of extreme negativity. They're found being locked behind doors in what? Fear of the Jews. Yet in spite of a few short verses, we see one of the most significant transformations as their whole world has changed when Jesus came and stood among them. When Jesus enters the room, when Jesus enters the room, life is changed. Not only is their sense of fear and defeat completely overcome, but they set a course to go and change the world in the name of the risen Jesus. It's not just a great and an important story. It sets a pattern for us about how we can be similarly changed and transformed by a life-changing encounter with the risen Jesus. First, we see this in this passage. We see how he changes them. And then we see how he sends them to go change the world. And that happens to us. We should see the same encounter. We should see the same power in our lives. First, Jesus, when Jesus enters the room, we see we should have that life encounter. He changes us. And then he calls us to go and change the world. Now, there, there's moments where Jesus will, and the Holy Spirit will literally enter the room. I believe the Holy Spirit is here in this place. There were people praying. I was praying as well. People praying before the service that the Holy Spirit would come on to this place. This message is prayed over as well. I believe the Holy Spirit is here. I believe Jesus has entered the room. But you know, there are times in our lives where Jesus actually, we invite him to enter the room of our hearts. And when that happens, life change occurs. And then that life change, after we are changed, it doesn't stop there. We go and change the world. And we see this pattern um, there. So let's look at these two points in turn. So first of all, Jesus changes us. And how does Jesus change us? And we see this in this passage. First of all, Jesus gives us new peace. Jesus gives us new peace. First thing Jesus declared, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Be with you. I love this, uh, that he said this. Jesus is coming to a group of defeated, discouraged, and, and bewildered disciples living in fear and gives them a word of reassurance. He says peace. He says peace. Think about what the disciples are feeling, okay? Three days removed from the cross, and they're hiding up, and the Roman government crucified the Messiah. Peter denied him. Many, most of the disciples did, weren't even there at the cross. The only one we know is John. And, and in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the, when the guards came and took him, what did the disciples do? They scattered. They ran. You think they're feeling really good right now? No, they're very discouraged. Imagine if Jesus would have rose from the dead Maybe saw Mary because she was there, and he, he's gone. I mean, the disciples needed Jesus to come back and come into the room. They were living in, in discouragement and despair. 
And, and it's really interesting. He doesn't come back to rebuke them for their unbelief and deserting him. Jesus didn't enter the room and go, all right, guys. So here I am. I'm back. And um, I noticed one thing, that when I was arrested, you guys ran away. No, no, no. Should not have done that. I'm very ashamed of you guys. Peter, come on, Peter. Peter, you could have done something. Really? You, I told you we were going to deny me. Jesus didn't do any of that. He did not rebuke them. What did he do? Peace. You know, when Jesus enters a room, especially when we invite him into our lives, he's not going to come and rebuke you for the life that you lived. He's not going to come and rebuke you what you did yesterday or the week before or 10 years ago. He's not going to come rebuke you of that. The Bible said he, he didn't come to condemn the world. He doesn't condemn. Now, conviction happens through the Holy Spirit. That's how, that's how we know we're sinners. Conviction happens. It's just sort of a knocking on the door saying, hey, you know, you're doing some things and there's a solution for that. There's someone who could take that away. That's called conviction. But Jesus didn't come and condemn us. He doesn't come and rebuke them. He says, peace be with you. In fact, he says it twice. When Jesus enters a room, he's going to bring peace. And God knows when you need peace. God knows you more than, than, than you know yourself. And he knows when you need peace. And he knows the right words to say it and when to say it. So when do you experience peace the most? When do you experience peace the most? It's when you're in the middle of a storm. Think about it. You don't feel peace the most when everything's right in the world. Yeah, you may have a, have a sense of peace, but I'm talking like deep biblical peace that can only come from God. Okay, that, that's not happening when everything's right, you're on vacation, and you know, you're by the ocean, or you're by a lake, or you know, you're sleeping in late. And, you know, that's just called being refreshed. Okay? There's a difference. Peace is when everything around you is messed up, and the storm is blowing all around you, and, and, and things are just not going well, and what happens? Jesus steps into the room, and he brings peace. That's when you feel the peace of God. When things are all around you are, are just not going well. God, I need you here. Jesus, I need you here. And he comes in, steps into the room, and he brings peace. I don't care if you lost your job. I don't care if you got a bad health diagnosis. You know, I don't, I don't care what it is. I don't care if friends abandon you, talking bad about you. Doesn't matter. In those moments, Invite God to come in. Invite Jesus to come into the room of your life and say, peace be with you. Not only does Jesus give us peace, Jesus gives us hope. Jesus gives us hope. You may remember in, in Mary Magdalene that despair that, that gripped her. The disciples on the road to Emmaus had lost their hope. And so what is the first thing that happens to those disciples and Mary as they encounter Jesus? As he makes himself known, they are filled with a sense of hope. So today's passage, how does Jesus fill them with new hope? He shows them his hands and his side. He shows them his hands and his side.
What is Jesus doing when he's, when he's doing this? What is the significance of him showing this? He shows the disciples his identity. He's saying to them, look, guys, hello, it's me. It's me, Jesus. See the nail prints? This is the price that I paid for you to, re- to be free. It's really me. You're not looking at a ghost. You're not looking at a vision. You're not looking at some sort of uh, illusion. You're not dreaming. Touch me. It's real. In fact, Luke's interpretation of this, they actually give him fish to eat. It's like, bring me some fish. I'll eat it. I'll show you. It is me. I'm back. Death really has been defeated. If any one man conquered death in the middle of history, then we know that everything he said and the Bible said about him is true. If Jesus conquered death and, and, and everything he said is true, then we can also believe it also means that our future resurrection at the end of history when he comes back is also true. And what is that going to be like? I think it's a lot. I think Jesus is showing us. It's going to be a lot like his resurrection, a lot like his resurrected body. What a hope we have in the future. When we talk about hope, we're not talking about some sort of wishy-washy hope like I hope so. When we talk about hope, it's biblical hope. It's certain. It means that, that, there, that we are absolutely convinced of the fact that although we don't see, yet see it or possess it, we will in the future see heaven. We will have a resurrected body. It's absolutely true. When we have hope, everything changes. The disciples needed to see the hands and the side and the wound. They had to see it to see it is truly Jesus. It is me. I conquered death. There is hope. I'm alive. There is hope. We saw, we saw a little bit of that hope this year in Georgia. Okay? With the Braves and the Bulldogs. Man, what a great, what a great glorious year this was, right? On the on the the uh, World Series. And uh, won the national championship, okay? And back to back. And so this year, and I know the Braves aren't doing like, like, they, like they should, but hey, we could still say, hey, we have hope. There's hope. They could still do it. Because guess what? It just happened, okay? Or, or Georgia. There's still hope. But man, before t- this year, it's like, no, 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 they're going to blow it. You watch, they're just going to blow it. It's all gonna, I mean, I remember we were down in the battery in game five of the World Series and uh, Grand Slam, second inning, and, and uh, Braves are like, yeah, we're going to do it. And then the Astros just, just beat them upside down the other. And they're like, no, no, it's going to go back to Houston. We're going to lose. I've never seen so many just pathetic Braves fans in all my life. But this year, they're like, oh, no, we got hope because it just happened. We have proof. We have the trophy and that, that's exciting, but that's what the disciples needed. They needed to see, hey, Jesus is alive. Death has been defeated. So not only does, does Jesus give peace and hope in that, in that biblical encounter, but he also gives joy. He also gives joy. 
there's a, uh, there's a story uh, about a people group called the um, Inuit group or, or Eskimos, people of the Arctic. When the translators to the, uh, to the Bible came to translate the Bible for these, this people group of the Arctic, they got to the particular verse in, in, in John chapter 20, in this verse that we're in, in John chapter 20. They were stumped. The um, Inuit language doesn't deal in abstract concepts. So they, they struggled to find a, a particular verb that conveyed the idea of being overjoyed. Then one of the translators hit on a perfect solution because they were hanging around this people group. He noticed how close the bond was between the Inuit men and their husky dogs and how when the men got up in the morning to let the huskies out, the, uh, the dogs were so overjoyed that they wagged their tails with great delight. So, <laughs> the translator suggested that they use this idea in the Inuit translation of the Bible. So, the translation reads in the Inuit Bible, in their translation, the disciples wagged their tails when they saw the Lord. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Wag their tails when they saw the Lord. I'm not suggesting that we should wag the tails when Jesus enters the room. I'm not suggesting when you come into the church, you start wagging your tail, okay? But I guess if you want to, the Holy Spirit got you, then go ahead and do so. Be my guest. But what a great picture that is. We've got a dog, Beignet, and when we, when we walk into the house, no matter who walks in, could be a burglar. He's going to run in, wag his tail, lick him. You know, he's like, oh, you're my new best friend. And that is joy. That is joy. When, when, we, when Jesus walks into the room, we should have a sense of just overwhelm joy in our life. That is, that is evidence that, that Jesus has entered the room, whether it's the literal room or the room of our life and our hearts. When you get down and depressed and everything, just say, Jesus, I, I need you to fill me. Even if you're a believer, and it's not about being saved all over again. You've got the Holy Spirit, but you don't, you, you, your cup's not full. It's like little bitty filling of the Holy Spirit. It's like, fill me up, Lord Jesus, with your presence. Let your Holy Spirit fill my cup. I'm just not in a good place right now. We've all been there. And so when Jesus enters a room, peace, hope, Joy. If you don't have peace, hope, and joy, get on your knees. Invite Jesus to enter into the room. So we see a life transformation. We see, we see that Jesus transformed lives. So Jesus changes us. And then we see in this passage, Jesus will send us. Jesus will send us. Well, how does he send us? First of all, we see Jesus will send us with a new purpose. We see this in, in, uh, in that passage, verse, 20, um, so verse 21 in, um, in John chapter 20. In verse 21, he says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I mean, that, that is huge. God the Father, creator of the universe, sends his son Jesus to go change the world. 
And now he tells the 11, I'm going, I'm now telling you to, sit, to be sent. I'm sending you just like the Father sent me. You have a purpose in this life. That purpose is to go tell others about me. You know, when you consider that Jesus is giving this mission to a group of guys who messed up the first round. <laughs> they messed it up. Now, they followed Jesus, okay? But remember, they, they were scattered. They, they deserted him. They denied him, you know? And they messed it up. They were feeling like failures. And Jesus said, hey, of all the people on, the, on planet Earth, you 11 guys, I'm choosing you. Really? Yes, I'm choosing you. You could be sitting here watching online today, and you could be asking the same question. He wants to send me? He wants, to tell, he wants me to tell others about hope and peace? He wants me to tell others? He wants me to pray for others? Does he know what I've done? Yes, he does. Does he know that I've messed up? Yes, he does. But yet, he is sending you, just like he sent the disciples. He's saying, I've got a plan, and you're going to help me continue my mission to restore and redeem the whole world. This, 11, this little group of 11 guys went out, and within 300 years, Christianity had overtaken the Roman Empire. And today, one-third of the world's population claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. 11 people. Now, obviously, there were other disciples. And then you have, you know, you had the explosion of the Holy Spirit coming on to people. And, and just then Paul came along. But it started with those 11. It was the biggest task ever given to them. God has a, a, a far bigger plan than just changing your life. It's not about just giving you peace, hope, and joy. If you're going to keep the peace, hope, and joy for yourself, you can, I guess, but you're not really fulfilling what God wants you to, to do. God wants you to spread that peace, that hope, and the joy to others that you know. Just a couple months ago, we introduced Who's Your Seven? Who's Your Seven is a, is a, a, a church growth initiative that that we feel like as, as, as elders and as our pa as pastor, we feel like God has given that to us. And all of, it's really simple. Throughout this year of, of 2022, we are asking you to identify, ask God to identify seven people in your life that you can pray for. Now, we've got books in the back table. You can grab one. It's called Who's Your Seven? It's a booklet. And it's a way for you to write down, pray for people, and, uh, and then you, you, because there's seven, there's, you know, one person for each day of the week, and you can pray for them. And ha there's opportunities and ideas for you to share Christ and, to, and invite them over and to build that relationship. Now, it's just not just, you know, um, seven adults. It could be a family. It could be a family of three and then a family of four or whatever. But, but it starts with just those people that God has laid on your life and on your heart. There are people in our neighborhood that God has laid on our hearts. And things are moving. Things are happening. 
We've got ladies in our neighborhood that, we, uh, that she's always been praying for. Coming to the ladies' retreat, okay? And I had lunch with, with one of the guys in our neighborhood. We've had people in our neighborhood come visit our church. We invited them to Easter. Guess what? They're coming back. So think, things are happening. I want to encourage you, those seven people that God has laid in your heart, begin praying for them and, and figure out ways to connect with them because that is a way that God is sending us out. So he's sending us out with a purpose. And the purpose is to share the, the, the peace and the hope and the joy that you have and not just to keep it. The second thing is this. He sends us out with new power. He sends us out with a new power. He doesn't leave us alone. In verse 22, we see this power. He says this. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I love this because here is a direct link back to the first creation. In Genesis chapter 2, God, what did God do? He breathed into the first man and he became a living being. Here at the start of this new creation, of this new idea of, the, of, of Jesus coming and, and the Holy Spirit, God breathes his breath of the Holy Spirit into disciples as a sign of new life and new creation. Just like at the first creation, God breathed the breath and to Adam, he wants to breathe the Holy Spirit into our life, which gives us power. If you're trying to live this Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to walk defeated and keep stumbling and falling down. Now, you're not going to live perfect, even with walking through the power of the Holy Spirit, but you're going to fail less if you're walking in true power of the Holy Spirit. And what that takes is this, Lord, breathe on me. Breathe on me. Breathe of the new, new life. I want to walk in power. Jesus is sending us out with a purpose and is sending us out with power. I wish we can understand that fully. That the power of the Holy Spirit, it's real. It's not just, the Holy Spirit wasn't just for the apostles or just those people back in, in, in Acts. It's a continuation. It's a continuation of his power. And the more that we connect through the Holy Spirit speaking to our life with the Bible and what he is saying in the Bible, this becomes alive. This becomes alive. I shared this past week with um, FCA at Woodland Middle School. Gosh, there were 200 kids in the gym. And it's just me and like 200 kids and like a, another teacher. And I was like, oh my goodness, Lord, help me. And I, I've used this analogy before where I, I, I took a Twinkie. Some of y'all may remember this. And you have, the, you have the Twinkie, you have the form of the Twinkie. And if you try to eat that Twinkie without the cream filling, if you ever you like try to get the cream filling out, and I've actually done that before several years ago, um, an experiment that I did. And so it's hard to eat the, the, the sponge cake without the cream filling. The cream filling helps you to devour the sponge cake. You need both. Just the word of God is like the sponge cake. It's got form, okay? It's got form. 
But the Holy Spirit is a cream filling the inside. And it comes on the inside and it helps you to devour God's word. When you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, the Holy Spirit can teach you things in the word of God. The word of God, it jumps off the page. And it says, ah, I get it now. Yes, I need to live that way. Yes, I need to change this within me. Yes, I, I, I need to apply this in my life. Yes, I need to speak this to somebody. God will give me a word from, from the, God's word and say, I need, you to, I need you to share this scripture. It happens to me all the time with my wife, many times, several times a week. She'll, she'll send me a passage, okay? If there's a passage in the Bible that says, you know, husbands need to wash the dishes more, she would send that to me. I believe the Lord is speaking this to you. But just know this. There's power. The breath of the Holy Spirit. You can go forth in power. And the last thing, he's going to send us with authority. He's going to send us with authority. We see this in in, uh, verse 23. He says this. He says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their, uh, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, uh, they are not forgiven. Now, I want to be clear that G- what Jesus is not saying in this passage, he's not saying that it's up to us to take the place of God in determining who can be forgiven and who isn't. Rather, this is to be understood in, in, in a broader sort of context of our mission to proclaim the good news. Basically saying this, if you receive the message of salvation, then you will be forgiven. If you stay in your sins, you will not. And that's what Jesus is saying. And to tell the disciples to boldly go out and tell them that. Look, if you receive this message of salvation, this good news, this gospel, and you receive it, then your sins are going to be forgiven. And... If you choose to stay in your sins, then your sins will not be forgiven. If you choose to not believe the message, let me speak clearly. Those who are listening or watching live or whatever, just know this. Jesus longs. Jesus longs to come into the room. He longs to step into the room to be a part of your life. But it takes you inviting him into that room. It takes Jesus, invi- it takes you inviting Jesus to say, say, Jesus, come inside of you. He's not going to knock down the door. He's going to knock on the door, but he's not going to knock down the door. So, I'm not saying get peace, hope, and joy, and purpose, power, and passion, just, just to get it. What I am saying is have an encounter with Jesus and he will fill you with peace, hope, joy. He will give you, he will send you with purpose and with power and authority in this life. And you will be able to, to be able to tell others about Jesus. So have you allowed Jesus to step into the room? Have you allowed Jesus to walk into the room? Because Jesus wants to bring new life into your life. He wants to step into the room of your hearts. He wants to step into the room of of where you uh, visit with him. He stepped into the room of my car, in the space of my car, when when I've driven before. 
There have been times in my life I had to pull the car over because I couldn't see because of the, the tears welling up inside me and the joy of the Lord just pouring over me. <laughs> it's just peace. So I, I want you to understand this. Jesus wants to enter into your room. Will you let him? He wants to give you the peace, the joy. He wants to give you power. And so, every head bowed, every eye closed, if we could, please. If you're sitting here today, or you're watching online, and if you are in a place where you feel like, like the disciples, maybe you feel like you're not worthy to be even in the presence of Jesus. Maybe you've done some bad things and maybe you've let him down. Maybe there's some disappointments. And maybe you'd be confused as to why Jesus would even come near you. Know this. He wants you to invite him. And, and not just a, a one-time decision, not just that one-time decision to follow him, but, but a de, a, the decision to use his power and his authority to share the message of salvation to others. Will you invite him? Maybe it could be for the first time. Maybe you, you, you're at a place where you're like, okay, it's dark, I'm, despair, I'm in despair, I'm, just, I'm tired of, of going through this life by myself. Maybe it's time that you invited Jesus into your life. You simply say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. Please forgive me my sins. Please come into my life. Please step into the room of my heart and change me. I want to be changed. I want to be made new. And if you're sitting here today, you've already made that decision, but all of us, all of us can be in a place where we just have some separation between God. Maybe we just haven't been right with God. Maybe there's some distance with God. Maybe you just haven't talked to him in a while. And you know that there's got to be more power in your life. Just ask him to come into your life, to fill your heart, to fill you up. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been present, but you haven't been filled. So at this time, while the band plays and as he sings, we're going to sing a song about the altar, about just coming down to the altar. This altar is open. Just, I would encourage you, come down and just say, Lord, fill me with who you are. We can get empty. This is why we come together on Sundays. We come together to get refilled, recharged. If you're feeling weak, tired, just come down. Ask the Lord, fill me with all that you are. Maybe you need to stand in the gap for somebody, whatever it means. Heavenly Father, we know that your spirit is in this place. Holy Spirit, we know that you're here. Holy Spirit, speak to us like never before. Fill us like never before. We invite you here. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.
and amen. Let's all stand together. Let's pray. Let's sing. Let's invite the Holy Spirit.